Hello again, my name is Adrian, if you didn't catch it before. Uh, if this is your first time around us, you are incredibly welcome. And please do make yourself known to us if we don't make yourself known to you, uh, as we will endeavor to try and do that. Um, I'm going to start with a question, and the question is this. If, like what is it that makes home home? That's the question. What is it that makes home home? And my guess is that every single one of us will come up with different questions, answers to that. Maybe it's the location. The location of where home is. You know, Channel 4 are continuously telling us that, isn't it? Location, location, location. That's what the home is all about. And yet, actually, you can find people forming home in loads of multiple locations. So it doesn't seem to be about location. Maybe we could say it's about the structure. But I know that actually... Even that doesn't quite fit because I can think of taking my kids away camping and often we'd be there and we'd often camp for an extended period of time and they'd start to call the tent that we were living in home. And i say, oh, let's go back home. And you're thinking, what, back to Birmingham? No, no, let's go back to the tent. So home seems to be not just about the structure. Maybe we can then say, well, it's not maybe the location, the structure. Maybe it's the furnishings. Maybe it's the furnishings that make home home. But man, just go and walk around Ikea. And furnishings are just a showroom. So it can't be the furnishings. Maybe then it's people. People make home. But even that doesn't quite fit, does it? Because actually there's many, many different dwellings out there that people live in, which they just describe as a place where they go to, to or they have to be in. Or something that because of their job, they have to dwell within. So it doesn't seem to just be about people. Then maybe it's not that. Maybe it's actually home is revealed when we start to understand that there's someone behind the scenes seeking to create an environment that makes anyone who goes into that place know and understand what home is. And my guess is any one of us here, if we're living in a dwelling, that whether we own it or rent it, whether it's someone else's or our own, whether we're like seeking to just have a bedroom or something else, that we're trying in that space to say, hey, I'm going to create something here that does me good, that does others good, that becomes a home. And what we're saying as a church family is saying actually part of what women are be together is home. A home that is shaped by a creator. Because in us forming home, we begin to realize that we're part of a much bigger story, a bigger story that isn't just about us gathering in a room in Harborn or about our own individual life and how we pan out, but rather a bigger story that's about the whole of humanity, about this planet, about the whole of the universe. This planet, this universe is actually created as a home. A home that was incredibly good, and we're going to look at that in a few minutes' time, but this home that's incredibly good, but humanity then decide that maybe they know better. Maybe they could create a better home without the creator shaping everything, and as a result of that, everything breaks. But the creator, who's God, doesn't give up on this home, but rather says, no, I'm going to promise to restore it, and comes himself humbled, embodied as a person who is Jesus, yet God, in order that he'd live, die, and rise again, in order that he could offer and bring anyone home who receives him, in order that one day there'll be this promise that he's going to return and restore everything 
to be the home that the creator had always designed. And in that, as we start to realize that we're part of this bigger story, that what we then get to form as home becomes this outpost of this home that is to come, a home that was, but a home that is to come, that reveals the one who is the creator, shaper of the home, who is God. And therefore, what we've said as a company of people is let's spend some time camped out at the very beginning of the Bible, the story as it opens, as to see what the origins, the beginnings of this home looked like. And so we're looking at Genesis 1 to 3, and in it, we're looking at these chapters with this view of understanding this is how home was created. This is what home looks like. And therefore, we're going to look at a journey through these chapters, a journey that started last week excellently by Mike Blaber. If you didn't hear it, I'd say go online and listen to it because it will do you good. I'm not going to try and summarize it. Apart from this, it was all about love. That everything was created out of love. This loving God who in himself is a loving community of Father, Son, and Spirit as the overflow of everything creates everything out of love. And what we're going to discover over this journey through this book is we're going to discover that home has origins of love. It's created of rest, relationship, value, purpose, no shame, but it's broken, lost, but a promise is a promised restoration is given, and that will lead us into Easter. That's where we're going over the coming weeks, and then we'll land at Easter thinking, man, isn't it amazing that Jesus came to live, to die, and rise again in order that he could cause us to know that there is home? So today, I want us to look at home created, and if you're around last week, as I said, like Mike did an excellent job of us understanding that there is one behind the creation of home who is God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is love, and out of the overflow of who he is, creates. And Mike spent his time in one verse. I've now got to do the rest of the chapter. And so it's kind of like wrestling a lion, it feels like, this morning. But I reckon we could get there. We'll see. It will be a roller coaster. But in it, I think our starting point has to be this. All that we're about to look at in Genesis 1 is out of the overflow of God's love. The second thing, this is most important, is we need to recognize that we don't read in our 21st century mindset. Because what's given in Genesis 1 isn't seeking to answer the question of how everything was created. That's not what Genesis 1's doing. It's rather answering a different question. It's answering a much bigger question, which is by who and why. And therefore, can I plead with us? Because I recognize as followers of Jesus, we kind of love to kind of say, man, what does it look like though with those that are enlightened, those who like look to discover, which is great, and understand, which is good, but let's not start to think that we get a monopoly on how God creates, how it all comes into being. There'll be different views in this room. And as we figure out our different views, can we live with that sense of love towards one another? Of seeking to understand and listen, not just be listened to. Because I found with this stuff, we can sometimes get very, very vocal and tend to bash one another in the face repetitively. And I, I just don't think it does as good. So let's look then at Genesis 1. Genesis 1 starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it and it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God says, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times as days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. Let's just pause there for a moment. That's quite a bit, isn't it? What I don't want us to get bogged down with today is these literal days or not. We're not going to be looking at that. You can come and talk to me afterwards if you want to debate that. That's not what we're doing here, because remember I said, this isn't a how guide. This is a who and a why guide. And if we have to ask you, well, what's going on here? Now, there are some reasons as we're going to go and see why days are used, as it's going to build to a day that is highly important. But at this point, we can look and say, well, there seems to be some things that are being created, but why at this point does the writer of Genesis in this rich poem story kind of suddenly refer to the night having a lesser and greater light? Why don't it say sun and moon? Well, why it does that is because you've got to remember the context. Everything that Mike spoke of last week, this is a context where there were other creation stories. Creation stories in the ancient world that were always about chaos or about gods who created in order that humanity would serve them. And then there were multiple gods, gods of the sun, gods of the moon, that the stars were a deity in themselves that one could direct their whole life with. People still do that, don't they, in the newspaper? And so therefore, the writer here is saying, hey, when you look around, even the light in the sky, the greater light, the sun, the lesser light, the moon, created. Created by God. They're not gods. Created by God. It's like an in-your-face moment. In the sweetness of a poetry, poetry, it's something like, bang, in your face, they're not gods. And then the most understated sentence, I think, in the whole of Scripture as we're going to see in a bit. Where is it? And he also made the stars. Full stop. Let's carry on. Astronomers are out there continuing to look at the, understand the how, but also look at the wonder, as we're going to see in a bit, of the kind of content of what that verse means. The stars. Billions of I read somewhere, a trillion billion stars 
in our known universe. At that point, you recognize that someone has got to a point saying, you just can't count them. Let's just make up a number that no one's ever going to count. Outnumbered in the sky, stars that are there. And the writer says, what you need to know, God created. God set them in their vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea. Pause again for a moment. In, if you've got a more traditional verse or translation of the Bible, it probably says sea monsters. We kind of lose that because that just sounds nuts now. Sea monsters? Well, no, why it was there is again, remember the context, ancient world. The writer is speaking to that ancient people where actually part of the beliefs were there were these sea monsters. There's a great, great cosmic struggle between the deity that was seeking to create and the sea monster that was there and trying to win. Who's going to win? And is the sea monster going to win? No, no, the deity wins and subdues the, the sea monster. And out of that, stuff is created. And again, the writer just in this poem says, no, no, even those that can be deemed sea monsters created by this God. And every living thing which is with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in the number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we may they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with the seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This moment is just there, trying to tell something of the story of why and who created, in order that everything else can start to make sense. And in it, as I said, I'm not going to look at the detail and say, okay, what does this really mean? No, I want us to look at it with that view of home, 
I want us to look at it with that lens of, of what is it then we take from here that allows us to understand now like why we get to form home. Because we need to understand that we're not trying to pine back to what was created. We're trying to understand, yes, this is how the creator created, but he's now about restoring a new creation. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are now part of that new creation. A new creation that wants to get back what the creator always envisioned, that a creation would be filled with his love and goodness. So in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. See, as we look at this creation of the beginnings, the origins, we need to also look at it with a lens that Jesus now is seeking to bring about a new creation. But guess what? Because he was there at the beginning and he's there at the end. The attributes of that creation in Genesis 1, you find are with him now as he seeks to bring about his new creation through us as individuals, come together as people who then become these gatherings to be these outposts of his home that is to come. So I want to briefly look at five things that I think we see from this story of Genesis 1. The first one's this. Home is about wonder. I remember going camping with some friends a number of years ago, and we were out, and we'd been for a drink, and we were on our way back, and as we were out, and uh, kids are all around, everyone's kind of been up late, and one of my friends turns to me, and we look at this sky, and we're out camping, not in a city, because I've learned you don't camp in cities, and we're there, and there's no, there's no street lamps, therefore the, the, the sky is littered with stars. As we're walking back, my friend turns to me, and she says, Adrian, when you look up, and you see the vast quantity of stars, don't you think, how on earth can you believe in a God who made that? As we stood there, I, well, we're walking, I kind of stop. And I look and I say, no, no, when I look up, I think, wow, how big is the God who made that? And I'm left thinking, how can you believe that there isn't a God when there's all of that in the sky? And that then pursued another questioning moment as we carried on towards our tents. You see, it's writer of this creation story poem is wanting us to see there is one behind all that's created. And that as we look at all that's created, it should fill us with this sense of wonder. Wonder at everything that's created because as we find this wonder at what's created, it draws us in to have wonder at the one who's behind the creation. That's why the writer keeps saying, you know, in the beginning God created. And then it says, and God said... And then it should say, and then God made. That God was involved. It doesn't say how. It says God was. And the way to have this wonder at everything that is created. See, I think sometimes we just, as those in the 21st century in a Western world, see, say, no, no, we understand. Yeah, but understanding should still bring a sense of Wow. And have you ever taken a kid to a zoo? I remember taking my kids to the zoo. And you go in, and they're just like, whoa! 
whoa, a giraffe. Like, how does that make sense? A giraffe, it's real. It's not just in a book, it's there. And you're kind of there as now going, yeah, yeah, big deal. Yellow and brown, quite tall. If it falls over, it can't get up. Um, you then go and you go to the next thing, and I don't know, it's a lion. Whoa, this is massive. There's something about a kid as they see things, you think, this is amazing. And I wonder if we are called in this Genesis story to understand that home is about wonder. That as we understand things, it's when a cause us to go, wow, what other God behind all of this? Let's just watch something very, very briefly, three minutes, something that uh, some guys in connection with Google produced that talks about the macro, the big, and the micro, the small. Let's just look at it and allow the wow of the creator behind all of this. Let's not let science freak us out. Let's allow it to push us in wonder to think, man, but there's a creator behind this who wants and designs and desires relationship with us because it's all out of love. And therefore, wonder will always lead to worship. Man, if you want to see where it starts, just quickly look at Psalm 8, 148 and 104. Colossians 1, Paul just revealing the wonder of Jesus and how everything in the cosmos gets caught up in him. Let's allow the wonder of what we see around us to allow us to worship the wonder of who God is. So wonder is what home is about. Secondly, it's about formed and being filled. And if you saw that in that Genesis story, you see that these, these moments where the creator forms and there's the moment where the creator fills. And so you find in day one, he forms light and dark. And in day four, he fills it with sun, moon, and stars. Day two, forms water on earth and the sky. Day five, he then fills it with fish, creatures of the sea, and birds. Then day three is formed land and vegetation. And then day six, fills land creatures and human beings. God is one who creates by forming and by filling. That's what home is about. There's a formation of it and there's a filling of it. Well, that's kind of snazzy, isn't it? Oh, we could take a photo of that and go, oh, well, that makes Genesis 1 look quite palatable, doesn't it? Oh, I can understand that a bit more. No, no, that's not the point. Remember, lens of what we're trying to build here. Because what is it that happens then in the new creation? What's the forming and filling? That's what Jesus says in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, he says this, verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. When he talks about the wonder of who we are as we build home, is another image. It's one of a body, a human body. He says, hey, we're not any old human body when we come together as the church. We're his body, Jesus. And guess what? Not only is it formed together as a body, also then the invitation is, as part of this body, get on, fill it with the parts. See, here's the beauty. The body of Jesus isn't a giant ear, because that'd be weird. Imagine for a moment, if I'm wandering around, I'm just a giant ear. One is I'd be a YouTube celebrity, probably a gold standard one. If I was just a giant ear, you'd be like, what is that? Weird. We're not, are we? We're made up of lots of different parts. And so too is it with the church, who we are together as a family. Every single one of us is invited in to play our part in order that what is formed will be filled. 
And for some of us, we need to hear what Bill and Hazel were saying, that actually the invitation is play a part. Because you being here reveals more of the wonder of who God is in his manifold wisdom and grace. The fact that it isn't just one type, multiple different ones of us, of different stories and journeys with different gifts and abilities. Why? Because it reveals the creator. It's what home's about, formed and filled. It's not just locally here as we gather like this. It's also us then seeing of every church on the planet is there as part of revealing the body of Jesus in order that every church would play its part of filling the earth with the wonder of who he is. So home is about being formed and filled, but it's also about life. See, throughout that narrative, it says God blessed them and said be fruitful and increase in number. Part of home is a created order, a created moment of saying within everything created is this design to multiply, to be fruitful, to give life. It's there. It's an attribute of home. An attribute of the home to which to look back on is one that always produced life, multiplied itself. doesn't explain how that happened, remember? But it says, this is what happens. So then we again look and say, well, that's what home was like then when it was originally created. What about now in this new creation? Well, it's the same. Jesus says to each of us, Matthew 28, 18 to 19, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is my blessing. Therefore, what? Go and make disciples of all nations. Be fruitful and increase in number. It's part of what it means to be home, created by the creator. Within in any one of us who is a follower of Jesus, whether we've been a follower for a day or 20 million years, Though we're not even in the room if we are that. So let's backtrack, Adrian. You get too overexcited. 40 years within us, within our DNA now, within this new creation, is that there is life. There's a seed that's there to be multiplied in others. In order that we cause others to know the wonder of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. I am being completely undone by something I wrote, read in a book by John Ortberg. And he says this. There is an old tradition on large Australian ranches located on often dry land that there are two ways of keeping cattle on the ranch. One is to build a fence, the other is to dig a well. What a gift it might be to a world that has become increasingly polarized and politicized if the church would be utterly committed to Jesus as our center. No fences to keep others out, just a life-giving water of Jesus drawing people ever closer to his presence. And you know what it looks like to make disciples is that. It's that we understand that we've tasted and seen how good Jesus is, that we continuously center our lives around the well of who he is, the life-giving water, and then we call others to come and taste and see that he is good. And if they can't come in yet, we take buckets for them to go and taste. I don't know a cup if you can't carry a bucket. And you say, look how good Jesus is. We don't build fences or walls to keep people out. We say everyone is welcome to come and see and taste and know the wonder of this life-giving Jesus. It's life. And that life-giving Jesus brings us on to this next point because actually this home that God creates has an attribute of being sustained. I don't know if you saw it, but in verse 29 and 30, God like spells out this provision 
There's provision for me to sustain you. He says, I'll give you to the humanity, I'll give you every seed-bearing plant. And to all the animals and plants and birds, I'll give every green plant for food. Now at this point, I'm not going to do a proclamation of veganism. That can be another week. But what I want us to see is there is something sown in to creation that God ordained it to be a place that he would sustain and there would be enough if it was justly and rightly dealt with. And that humanity would have enough and it could leave space for the rest of the created beings to have what they needed to have enough. And we'll get to look on that in a few weeks' time as we look at what it means to live with purpose as humanity. Because part of our purpose is that women live with this planet, even in its broken state, justly. Because God's made it to be a place that could sustain us, where there would be enough for everyone. But in this, not only is there that in that created moment of hope, it's still there in the new creation. You see, it goes deeper. The bass note gets louder because it's not just about what we nourish and feed ourselves with. In this new creation that Jesus talks about, how we're sustained is actually by him. So John 15, it says, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, an attribute of home is that we're a bunch of people who are sustained by Jesus. That's why we know the well is so important. Jesus uses a different illustration. He goes, it's like a vine and branches. I'm the vine. All the nourishment and goodness you need comes from me. If you're not connected to me, you'll perish. If you're connected, life springs out. Life springs out. We're to be those as home that know what it is to be sustained, not by our own ability, not by our own giftings, not by our own desires and wants and hopes, but rather by him, by Jesus. As we realize that actually without him, we're nothing. With him, we're everything. And therefore, we come and we say, hey, we're a home. We're sustained by Jesus. Therefore, we boast in our weakness. We understand we're fragile because we're rooted in him. And he gives us strength and grace It's not just that we're sustained, and lastly, it is that it is good. And if you saw that through that narrative, that the writer just pauses moment after moment, it is good. That God speaks it, it is good, then gets to the very end, it is very good. That word good means excellent, pleasing, beautiful, right. When God looks at his handiwork in the whole of creation, he says, it is excellent, pleasing, beautiful, and right. Here's the danger. We know that Genesis 3 is a coming. We know that we live, as we look around the world, of the consequences of Genesis 3, that humanity decided, hey, we can live outside of who you are, God, and you're best, and that kind of breaks everything. And we look at the pain and this kind of connection within everything around and say, but there's so much bad. And there is. We have to be careful that we don't turn the dial up to continuously point out what's wrong. When there's still there, here, in this home. Yes, shadows of what was meant to be, but they're still there. 
of the goodness of what God had created and handcrafted and shown his beauty and wonder through. And I wonder if sometimes we need to turn the dial down by continuously pointing out what's wrong and turn the dial up sometimes on what is good. Maybe if we were there showing and pointing to what looks good, maybe it's in nature, maybe it's in people, maybe it's stories you see and you hear and you think, hey, when that person did that, it revealed this one who is good, who is above all and in all. Maybe sometimes we need to be those who point out what is good, not just what is wrong. But I also wonder whether it's also not just us celebrating in what is good. It's also doing what is good. That's that new creation moment of us understanding, hey, what was created was good. And therefore, what I can do is good because I now, in living under this unbelievable knowledge that I am loved unconditionally by a good God, I get to reveal him now, restored to who I was meant to truly be. I get to reveal his goodness in and through me into everything I'm involved in. I get to do and live my life daily in an adventure of seeking excellence, being, doing things that are pleasing, beautiful, and right towards others, towards creation, towards the pets in my house. That's what I get to do. And here's the amazing thing. As I stumble my way through, and as you stumble your way through, seeking to do good, Jesus promises us this, Matthew 5, 16, that when people see our good deeds, they'll glorify our Father in heaven. He's not going to come and give you a pat on the back. If that's what you're looking for, don't bother doing it. You don't do good stuff to get pats on the back. You do good stuff to glorify your Father in heaven, who is the creator of all. Because where this leads us to, in this understanding that what we see around us is good, that home is celebrating and doing good, is it causes us to get to that point of wonder again and worship of who this creator is. See, Genesis 1 reveals this amazing home, a home that we get to learn from in this new creation and be an outpost of. My question then is, what are we going to do then with it? We just quickly at five areas. Pick one. Don't try and do all five. That's like nuts talk. Who's going to do five things in a week? You know, just do one. Maybe talk about it in small groups. Here's a few questions. Firstly, wonder. How will you build more time to wonder and worship the God of creation? First question. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is your question. At that point, you're thinking, well, I don't worship at all. Well, no. The invitation is, what about trying to discover the wonder in what you see around, revealing the wonder of who this God is. I start a journey of saying, hey, how do I get to know this well that's there of the life-giving one, Jesus? Secondly, formed and filled. What does it mean for you to play your part? When I say you, obviously it's me as well. I know which, which questions I'm going for. What does it mean for you to play your part in building home? Because the body needs you. Third one, life. How are you seeking to make disciples? Or what do you need to do to do this? For some of us, we've just suddenly thought, I thought that's what everyone else had to do. I didn't think I could. Oh, man. Being a follower of Jesus a day, man, welcome. Welcome because you just get to call others to do what you're doing. You say, but I, I don't really know. Man, none of us do. 
We're just trying to continuously, daily submit our lives to him and say, Jesus, shape more and more of who I am. That's what it means to follow him. Life, sustained, how will you live more dependent on Jesus? And then good, how will you live more celebrating what is good, both in what you see and what you do? 30 seconds. What's the one thing you're going to go for from this list? You don't have to tell anyone, just think about it in your head. Then I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to end. Okay, just where you are, just close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to end. Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that through you we get this amazing way to look at the whole of the Bible. And God, I thank you that the more and more that very smart people in our world discover about the micro of our lives, the micro of our worlds, and the macro, the big of our universe, it reveals more and more the wonder of who you are, God. And God, I thank you that when you create, you create with purpose and it's filled with your love. And we ask God, as we look back and say, in your original plan, what it looked like for you to build home and learn what it means now for us to understand those same attributes to live with us. I pray, God, would you give us the strength and grace and boldness to live this way? I pray, God, would you cause us to live with that wonder of knowing you are the creator. There is a purpose in what you create. We don't always know how you did it. And so, God, I, I pray, would you be with us as a family as we seek to live and be an outpost of the home you've created. Amen.